0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good
1: morning, church. Merry Christmas. That's a little better than last week. We're almost there. We will be by Christmas Eve, yes? Hey, wherever you're gathering from, we're so thankful you've gathered with us. We're in a series we've called Wish. If you have a copy of God's Word today, I hope that you do, turn to Luke chapter 2, maybe 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as well, because this is that time of year where everybody has a wish. And uh, I've been busy, my wife has been busy filling out uh, lists list. Of the wish list and we're almost done but every time you think you're done you still got one you forget about that one you got to go back to the store and get another one and so I hope that you're about done and uh, you are about ready to fulfill the list because I know you've got one do you know God has a wish I hope that you have a wish and we're gonna talk about that wish today this Christmas wish we began two weeks ago with the wonder of Creation is the wonder of creation. Only by understanding God's plan for man from the very beginning can you really understand the story of Christmas. What is significant about this baby born 2,000 years ago that the world still remembers? Did you know that from the moment God created Adam, put him in a garden, and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, God's plan for man was always to establish a kingdom that would be without end. But you know the story. Adam sinned, and that commission was canceled, and was sin, it brought ruin on all of creation. But we talked last week about the insanity of generosity, that God prophesied and promised one day another Adam, whose name is Jesus, would come to reverse the curse of the first. And that's what Jesus did with this insanity of God's generosity and what he did at Calvary. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And all that Adam would have done, he canceled because of sin. God is now doing through the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a kingdom that will be without end, And one day, without sin. Yes. Paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained. And what's amazing is what God is doing now to reshape not just history, but all of eternity. Church, we're gonna talk about this today. He's doing it through the simplicity of a baby. It was the simplicity of a baby born in the first century that changed all of human history has the power to change your life personally and redefine your eternity forever, endeavor, endeavor, endeavor. And that is why we remember the birth of a baby in a little town known as Bethlehem in the first century. And I want you to see something today that everything God does, God uses simplicity to accomplish the extraordinary. We live in a time of complexity, and all the complexities of 21st century society, and as we talked last week about the insanity of generosity, this time of year is also the insanity of busy, and the insanity of hurry, hurry, hurry. Anybody know what I'm saying? So we're gonna do something different we don't normally do, all right? I'm gonna do something different I don't normally do. I am not going to preach till the very last minute of the service. Now, you're not supposed to clap there. That was not the place to applaud. You're supposed to go, aw. Aww. all right, All right, all right, I know how you really feel, all right? Here's what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna preach as long as I normally do because I want us on this Sunday to get away from the insanity of busy and the insanity of hurry and have some time at the end just to bask in the presence of God. You guys in? That's where we're headed. So when I'm done preaching, I'm just telling you ahead of time, it's not over. Oh no, don't get up and leave because the Lord is just about to begin. This is what I want you to see, guys. Why are we talking today about the simplicity of a baby? Because God uses simplicity to accomplish the extraordinary. He always does. So the Apostle Paul was a very educated man, sophisticated man. He's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter one and look at what he says to them. He says in verse 26, for you see your calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence." Now I want you to understand the context. As the Apostle Paul is writing that to the Corinthians, the Corinthians lived in an ancient city of Corinth, very much with a culture in that city like modern American society. They put great importance and emphasis on human philosophy and the world's wisdom and institutions of higher education. And you have the Apostle Paul himself who had his PhDs in theology and his doctorate of divinity. But he's telling the Corinthians, you're gonna miss the most important part of the equation because you're gonna make complex the simple. And God's simple solution to man's most complex problems is seen in the simplicity of a baby two thousand years ago, born in the first century. Now he's not against education. Uh, he's not against your education and institutions and you know going deep intellectually. He's just saying, listen, if you try to outthink yourself, you're not going to see what is obvious. And it makes sense then, if God does move through simplicity when He moves in ways that are extraordinary. Now it makes sense that when the Son of God was finally come, and over and over again, century after century, prophecy after prophecy, the Hebrew prophets promised that one day the Genesis seed of 315 is going to come, that one day there'd be a Savior King that would come to reverse the curse of sin for all men and all women, prophecy after prophecy, century after century, and finally 2,000 years ago, God made good on that promise. The anointed one, the Christ, God's Son, had finally come. Now one would think Lot Logically, when Jesus finally came as the fulfillment of those prophecies that God would have first told, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees with their PhDs, but God didn't do that. He first tells, the very first, this baby announcement came, not to the PhDs and those with the doctorates of divinity, he came of all people to the shepherds. Do you understand in the first century, shepherds were on the lowest rung of societal status. Like they had no status, a very low status. They were considered the simple. They were considered the stinky people. God came for stinky people. Aren't you glad? Yeah, he shows up. Because he's going to do the extraordinary through simplicity. And so he first announces the birth of the Savior to the shepherds. Let's pick it up right here in Luke 2 and verse 8. It says this, Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." Then the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger.'" And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. God makes this announcement of all people to the shepherds. Why? Because everything God does, he does through simplicity, and he uses simplicity to do the extraordinary. He uses the simple shepherds to make this announcement that this baby had finally come, the anointed one of which God promised would one day come, God's son. And I want you to see what God is doing in this announcement. God's simple solution to man's complex problems is a Savior who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. I'm glad two of us agree. No, I want you to see. Now, we we think 2,000 years later, after the time of Christ, that everything has changed. And I want you to see that for all that has changed, how much is exactly the same. The first century was known for its animosity, its hatred, its hostility. It was dog eat dog. It was survival of the fittest. It was a place of warfare and wickedness and oppression and injustice. And God has introduced a baby into this equation, this baby that would have the power to bring peace between enemies. I want you to see that for all this change, how much is exactly the same. As we navigate the complexities of the 21st century, I want you to see the complexities complexities that create in us worry and anxiety and uncertainty. God wants you to center yourself again and focus on the simplicity of this baby. Your focus will define your future. And for all this change, so much is exactly still the same. See, we're still looking for political solutions to spiritual problems, material solutions to spiritual problems, physical solutions to spiritual problems. That God is trying to tell us our number one need of all our needs is a savior because when we put the savior in his rightful place, every other part of our life will fall into its rightful place see, when this relationship with God is all it's meant to be, and I'm fully aligned behind God through my faith in the Son of God, then everything around me is going to fall into place too. And that's why God's simple solution to man's most complex problems is a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. You see, it's Jesus that is reversing the curse of Adam's sin for all men. It is Jesus that is reversing the curse of sin upon all of creation. You see it's Jesus who brings God's redemption on all that has been lost it's Jesus who brings restoration on all that's been broken it's Jesus who came to reconcile the curse of sin and turn back Adam's rebellion and it's Jesus that has the power not just to do that for creation but to do it for your life personally you see Jesus is the answer he's the simple solution And this world is looking for all types of answers to the most complex of problems. And here's what God is telling us today, what God told the Corinthians many years ago, don't miss the simplicity in all the complexity. And I want you to see, this is what he says again and again to the Corinthians in his second letter. Watch this, Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Again, the Corinthians, much like our American society, Uh, They prided themselves in philosophy and wisdom and education, sophistication. And here's what the Apostle Paul was telling them. My fear is that in the same way Satan deceived Eve, he's now going to deceive you and me through deception and distortion. Church, we live at a time of deception and distortion. But listen very carefully. If Satan cannot deceive you, he will settle to simply distract you. Because in your distraction, he is slowly working your destruction. And you see, we live at a time of great distraction. This COVID world we now live in is full of distraction. It is full of diversion. And we look at all the uncertainties and the anxiety and the insanity and we begin to worry. And you know what God is reminding us? You need to focus your attention again on the simplicity of the gospel, that Christ died for our sin, that he rose again, that one day he's coming back and paradise lost is gonna be paradise regained. In the end, we win, in the end. And if it doesn't feel like right now we win, it's because it's not the end. Hang on, just focus on the future. Your focus will determine your future. And I'm convinced we need to abandon, guys, the insanity of hurry hurry, hurry, and abandon the insanity and the crazy, a busy, 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 and just focus again on the simplicity of the hope of the world, this baby that was born 2,000 years ago named Jesus. Yet even we do this in the church. We take the simple and make it complex. Theologians are known for doing this, taking the simple and making it complex. Did you know, for example, that Christmas is the celebration of the hypostatic union? Now there's a few of you who know what I'm talking about. Most of you don't have a clue, be glad you don't. Hypostatic union, that's a theologian's way of saying that God came in Jesus fully God, fully man. It's the union between Christ's deity and his humanity hypostatic union is theological jargon. Can we just say it simply, God became a man to become our sacrificial lamb, amen? I wanna say, we have a way of taking the simple and making it complex. Yet God takes the profound and makes it simple and yet the simple is so profound. Here you have Jesus that was enough for a great learned man like the Apostle Paul with his degrees and his institutions of higher learning, yet he is simple enough for a shepherd to get his mind around. You understand, he wants us to focus simply on the simplicity in the middle of our words crazy and all the complexities because this is the ultimate Christmas wish. Our real Christmas wish is for peace, amen? I mean, that's my wish. God, can we be at peace? We live in a world that's at war with itself. We're at war with each other. And for all this change, that much is exactly still the same. From the moment Adam rebelled and his son Cain slew his son Abel, the world is awash in bloodshed and warfare and wickedness and oppression and injustice. It's war. It is rebellion. It is ruin. But God enters into this equation, and in Jesus, he offers peace. And that's the Christmas wish that the world will finally be at peace. And God offers, watch this, the simplicity of a baby that has the power to bring peace between enemies. See, God always uses simplicity to do the extraordinary. And it's the simplicity of a baby that has the power even in our world today, to end the hostility, to end the animosity, to bring peace between enemies. I don't know that this is ever seen anywhere in history as it was, Christmas 1914. You talk about the insanity of human depravity. Human depravity is never seen like it was in World War I. The amount of bloodshed and destruction had never been seen in human history. And all of a sudden, for the first time ever, modern mechanized armies met on the field of battle and they quickly dug trenches for themselves. It was a stalemate in 1914. And literally with trench warfare, you understand, your enemy was just right there. Your enemy was just a stone throw away. You were literally living with your enemy weeks and months on end. As much as a 100 yards separated you, sometimes only 100 feet separated you, you could literally hear your enemy going to bed at night. You could hear your enemy making breakfast in the morning. But we're told, Something happened so powerful, so unheard of. It was called the Christmas Truce 1914. An informal truce took place between mortal enemies because of the simplicity of a baby. British troops, German troops, they met in no man's land because it was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That you see is the Christmas wish. And in 1914, for just a moment, there was a timeout to the insanity and all the depravity. It was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And somebody actually snapped a photo on Christmas Day, 1914, of British and German soldiers playing soccer together in no man's land. Can you imagine? It all began with the German soldiers, apparently. Several days before Christmas, they began singing Christmas carols in their German language, in their German tongue. And then we're told the British soldiers recognized one of those Christmas carols as Silent Night. And even though they couldn't understand the German language, they knew the hymn they were singing, and they began singing Silent Night in their mother tongue, which was English, and all of a sudden two sides began serenading each other, trying to outsing each other. And all of a sudden, there was this informal truce that began for several days leading up to Christmas 1914. And the Germans are said to have lit candles right there at their trench, erecting Christmas trees and lighting candles on the Christmas trees. And on the morning of Christmas, it was a very courageous German soldier that began to creep out of his trench coming up over the top, and as he had the courage to do that, others followed him, and all of a sudden, crossing no man's land with their hands up, they began saying, Merry Christmas, Englishmen! Merry Christmas, Englishmen! And all of a sudden, the English saw what was going on, and they decide to meet them in the middle, where they exchanged Christmas gifts, chocolate, tobacco. Uh, They uh, exchanged uh, buttons and other souvenirs, Played soccer, 100,000 men up and down the Western Front. Can you imagine? The simplicity of a baby had the power to bring peace between enemies. And for just a moment in time, the insanity stopped, the depravity stopped. Yet the world is still at war. Let me ask you this question Who are you at war with? You've dug your trench, they've dug their trench. It is still the simplicity of a baby that has the power to bring peace between enemies. Yet somebody has to be the one to make the first move. Somebody has to have the courage to climb up out of that trench and meet your enemy in the middle. And I will promise you, if it could happen in World War I, it can happen to you and me too. So in 2014, there was actually a British grocery store chain that made about a three minute commercial to commemorate on the 100th anniversary this very famous truce of 1914.
2: click 9 Ein blitter, come! i come! Jim? Don't, don't do it! Hey. Er ist nicht bewaffnet! Jim, my Name is Otto. Please to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's Carl. And um, he's schön, him um, schön. Weihnachten.
1: Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us the child is born, for unto us the son is given, and the weight of his government shall be upon his shoulders, but his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The simplicity of a baby has the power to bring peace between enemies. You see it was the sin of men that brought rebellion on God's creation, death, destruction, ruin. And it's still sin that steals the peace from families, from marriages, from homes, from communities and cities and countries. The world's at war with itself because we're at war with God. But the simplicity of a baby has the power to bring peace between enemies, to restore broken families, to redeem broken homes. For just a moment in 1914, the insanity stopped. Today I'm telling you, today, the insanity ends. Because of the simplicity of a baby, it can end in your life, in your home, in your heart. Yeah, I look at the Christmas truce of 1914. For just a moment, the depravity, the insanity stopped. The simplicity of a baby makes peace between enemies. You know, one would have thought out there in the middle of no man's land, somebody would have had the presence of mind to go, hey, can we just call this whole thing off? What do you say we all go home? Didn't happen. The world is still at war. But one day the Prince of Peace is going to come. He's going to establish a kingdom. It will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But until he comes as those who have been born again in the image of the living God, what are we? We're ambassadors of peace. Ambassadors of this baby. We have what it takes to end the animosity, the enmity, the hatred, the hostility of modern American society. So I'll ask you again, who are you at war with? You've dug your trench, they've dug theirs. There's no meeting in no man's land. No, we're not going to meet in the middle. You stay over there, I'm going to stay over here. Sweet friends, listen carefully. Christmas, it's a reminder that it's God who gives forgiveness, grace, mercy reconciliation and what God has done for us we can do it for others in fact if God has done it for us God help us if we don't do it for others see the real Christmas wish is peace It's what we all long for. Yet the world is still at war. Because of sin, the world is at war with God and at war with itself. But it's Jesus who offers peace. And until you're at peace with God, you can't have peace with others. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the New Testament does not define our relationship with God apart from Christ as members of his family. As a matter of fact, what it says again and again is we are his enemies. We are the enemies of God. See, every time we sin, we join Adam's rebellion against him. And that's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. It makes war on God. And apart from Christ, you're not a member of God's family. You're estranged from God, you're God's enemy. You're in a different kingdom. Not a member of God's kingdom, but it was 2000 years ago on the cross of Calvary that Jesus made your peace offering. In fact, this is what it says in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was on the cross that Jesus took all of your sin upon him. It was on the cross that all of our evil was placed on him. The sinless Son of God, who knew no sin, took all of our sin so that we could be redeemed from our sin, no longer God's enemy but a member of his family. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that word justified, it's just as if I've never sinned. In the eyes of God, he no longer sees my sin. When I put my faith in him, when you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, he justifies you as though you've never sinned. He exonerates you of all sin and the war ends. No more warfare between You and God, the rebellion is over, the white flag is waved. And this is the number one problem. And God gives us a simple solution. The problem of every human being is a problem of the human heart. And the simplicity of a baby has the power to bring peace between enemies, you and God, and then you and others. It says this in Luke 2 and verse 12, and this will be a sign to you, speaking to the shepherds, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. I pondered this for years, every Christmas. What is it about the swaddling clothes that were a sign? Swaddling clothes were very common In ancient Israel the first century if you were a new mother and you just given birth to a baby you would swaddle them swaddling clothes is not really clothes it's a linen cloth four or five inches wide and you would cut it to length maybe four or five feet and then you'd wrap your newborn baby in it kind of like a mummy and it was believed that that would help the baby transition from the womb to the outside world the angel says here's your sign you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and a manger is a feeding trough. That would have been a sign rather unusual for the shepherds to see a baby lying in a feeding trough. But the swaddling clothes to them wouldn't have been that much of a sign. I pondered this, I researched this. What is it about the swaddling clothes? You know, some teach that the swaddling clothes were the same as burial clothes and this prefigured somehow Jesus's Burial, but linguistically that can't be proven because when the New Testament writers write of burial clothes, it's a different word altogether than swaddling clothes. But there is a connection. You see, it was these very shepherds who got this birth announcement that were watching over what would become Passover lambs. And their payday came once a year in the Feast of Passovers as tens of thousands of Jewish Passover pilgrims would flood Jerusalem and they would pay for these Passover lambs to take part in the Jewish Passover. Now, what was the Jewish Passover? Exodus chapter 14, God instituted the Passover on the night before the Jews were going to leave Egypt and be redeemed from their slavery and Egyptian tyranny. God said, I want you to take the blood of a lamb, a Passover lamb, and I want you to put the blood on the doorposts of your home here, here, and here, symbolically foreshadowing the cross. And they would commemorate during Passover that God had redeemed them from captivity with the blood of this Passover lamb. Century after century after century after century. And God said, when I see the blood of that lamb, I will pass over your sin." The wages of sin is death, but when I see the blood, I will pass over your sin and life will come to your home. And it was these very shepherds that were tending what would become these Passover lambs. Now watch this. It had to be a very special lamb, not just any lamb would do. The Passover lamb had to be a male lamb without spot, without blemish, pure white, without injury, without spot without blemish and when they would call their flock and they would separate the Passover lambs from the other lambs check this out they would swaddle those lambs. They would wrap those lambs in swaddling clothes to protect them from injury, to protect them from getting soiled, because if they were injured or soiled before Passover, they didn't get their payday. So they would protect these lambs by wrapping them in swaddling clothes to keep them from injury or from getting dirty, because it had to be male. Pure, spotless, white. And did you know it was the shepherds who gave the Jews their Passover lambs? And here's the connection. It was God who gave us all our Passover lamb, the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory, John 1 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the apostle Paul would write, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. You see this baby did not come simply for the manger. He was the Messiah, the anointed one who came for the cross. And it was on the cross. He took all of our sin, our stain, our shame, our every single blame. It was all placed on him. And when god sees the blood of the passover lamb of god he no longer sees your sin he passes over your sin because it was all placed on jesus it was all placed on him the only question is have you made the great exchange your life for his has there been a moment in your life that you placed your faith Exclusively and completely in Jesus who died for your sin and rose again. And if so, I cannot think of a better time than to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to do right now. We're not going to hurry through this. I want you to spend some time in introspection, free from all the distraction, Set aside the insecurity, the anxiety, all of your worry, and focus right now on the simplicity of a baby who would grow up for one reason, to hang on a cross at a hill called Calvary. The Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is a very sacred thing we do. We don't do this to receive him. We receive him by faith. We do this to remember him. And it should never be empty religious routine just going through the motions. So the Apostle Paul would tell us we need to have a time of personal introspection, private confession, any sin or rebellion that you're harboring in your life, just confess it to him right now. Would you do that? Jesus, I thank you for the promise of 1 John 1, 8, that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all those Passover lambs that came before you, their blood could cover people's sins, but it could not cleanse them of their sin. But they all spoke of you, they all pointed to you that one day a final sacrifice would be made. The lamb of God. That God himself would become a man to become our sacrificial lamb. And Jesus, you are that lamb, that resurrected lamb. You shed your blood for the sins of men and women. Today we worship you. In this world we live in today of uncertainty and anxiety, animosity and hostility, we focus on the simplicity. And we confess that you are all sufficient, that you are all supreme. and you're more than enough for the problems we face. As they celebrated the Passover, the Jews would always begin by eating of unleavened bread. Of course, Jesus, on the week of his crucifixion and resurrection, was preparing for Passover with tens of thousands of Passover pilgrims from all over the Roman world gathered in Jerusalem as tens of thousands of those Passover lambs were being slain but said the blood that would come from the Jewish temple would roll down the Kidron Valley and at that very moment the Lamb of God would hang on Calvary No, that is not coincidental, very providential. And on this night, our Passover lamb would take the Passover with his Jewish disciples, his followers. He would take the bread, and if you have one of these, there's a little cellophane wrapper. It's not like the one Jesus used. Work with me here. We'll just take that cellophane wrapper and get to the unleavened bread. And that's what this is. It's unleavened bread. It's very symbolic. They wouldn't eat of just any bread. Be unleavened bread. Because in the Bible, leaven is a picture of sin. The Jews would get all the leaven out of their home. And what they were saying is, we're getting all the leaven out of our lives. We're getting all the sin out of our lives. And to commemorate that and symbolize that, they'd eat of unleavened bread. And on this night, Jesus would redefine that meaning forever. Remember in John 6, he said these words, I am the bread of life. And he that eats of me will never be hungry and never thirst. And he was the unleavened bread, meaning he lived a sinless life. He was about to give his body to be broken and bruised and bloodied. And on that night, he took the bread, he broke it, he passed it out. He said these words, take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus, we eat of this bread to remember forever what you did. And you are the unleavened bread of life. Though you came as a man, you were unlike any other man born of a virgin. You did not carry Adam's seed, so you did not carry Adam's sin. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. And you would give that sinless body to be broken on our behalf, bruised and bloodied, abused by the very people you came to redeem. You came unto your own, but your own received you not. But as many as receive you, to them, give them the power to be called the children of God. And I thank you that we can be numbered among The redeemed, the children of God, members of the family of God, no longer enemies of God. You're flogged by our freedom. You were pierced to ease our pain. And by your stripes, we are healed. And then he took the cup, and from the earliest pages of biblical history, the fruit of the vine or wine is a symbol of blood. And Hebrews chapter 9 says there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood and all those Passover lambs that came before him could temporarily cover the sin of men and women but they would have to do it again and again and again and again but the Lamb of God has come the anointed one God's son And the blood of Jesus Christ does more than cover our sin. It cleanses us of sin, exonerates us in the eyes of God. Jesus died guiltless for the guilty. And the Lamb of God poured out his blood for many. He took the cup. He said these words. This is the New Testament in my blood. Let's do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we drink of this cup, remembering the blood of our Passover lamb, the lamb of God. We celebrate the incarnation that God became a man to become our sacrificial lamb. And the simplicity of the birth of a baby has reversed the curse of sin's penalty for all that believe and all that trust in you. Church, listen carefully. We're going to stay right here for as long as you'd like. Still early. Don't rush off. You'll leave here. The insanity will begin again. The busy, the hurry. Just, just stay. Just sit. Stand and sing. Whatever you want to. We're going to worship. I'm going to come down off this platform. I'm going to stand right there along with other members of our response team. And church, I know in a place this size with this number of people here, not every person here is ready for eternity. Not every person here can be certain of their destiny. You don't know today where you stand with God. I'm not sure if I'm a member of God's family or if I'm still his enemy. Sweet friend, today that can change. If you'll have the courage to climb up out of your trench, meet God in the middle, he'll meet you there. And I'm gonna stand right there And I encourage you right now To come from wherever you are Up in the terrace Down this aisle Meet me personally Or another member of our response team We're gonna pray with you We're gonna answer that question for you And you're gonna leave here today Knowing with certainty That you are ready Because the simplicity of a baby Has redefined your destiny
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS.